What's happening, everybody? I have a special guest on today. I have the founder and CEO of the Marketing for AI Institute or AI for Marketing Institute, Paul Ratzer. Paul is amazing, man. He's been looking into AI for about 12 years now, deep, deep work on it, and we get into everything. Tools for your business, how you implement this in your business, where it's going, how to capitalize on the opportunity. I haven't had a guest like this before where we go this level of depth on AI and you are not going to want to miss it. Check it out. And even more importantly, we talk about how you can use it to grow revenue. How do you grow like a VC-backed company without taking on investors? Do you want to create a lifestyle business, a performance business, or an empire? How do you scale to an exit without losing your freedom? Those are the questions, and this show is the answer. Welcome, everybody, to the Scale Up Show. This is your host, Ryan Staley, and I have a very special guest with me today. I have Paul Ratzer. Paul is the founder and CEO of the Marketing AI Institute, co-author of the Marketing Artificial Intelligence and is doing a lot in AR marketing and the future of business. Paul, welcome. Happy to have you on the show, man. What's going on, Ryan? It's good to be here. Appreciate you reaching out and getting me on. So no problem, man. I'm excited. We're going to nerd out on AI today uh, and everything related to SaaS and everything else. So, you know, I've engaged with Paul on social, saw some things pop up with him, and I'm like, I got to have him on the show, you know? So I was looking forward to to sitting down and chatting this up with you, Paul. So um, why don't we go through this real quick? Normally, what I would do is go through revenue rundown, but... So Jamal's a little bit different. Let's start with just kind of like what, how does the marketing AI Institute support companies? Like what's your business and go to market? Let's start there. Yeah. So I, I like to think of it as a media event and education company. So media company first and foremost, because it's all about building an audience that can be monetized. So we started in 2016 with the mission of making AI approachable and actionable for businesses. And in the process, the idea was once we build an audience, we can you know sell events, we can do online education. And then we also have an ad slash sponsorship model where we drive revenue through that. Um, and so that's really what it is today. We have about 40,000 subscribers. So those are like free subscriptions, people who subscribe to our content. And and then we have an annual conference. And we, we've just this year launched two, two summits dedicated to writers and agencies. And then online courses, we have an academy, which is more of a SaaS style model. It's nine ninety nine a year. Um, and then we have individual courses. So like our, our flagship course is piloting AI for marketers and that's $4.99. And so the idea there is to drive people from our free intro class to the piloting class to the membership. And so we're building a SaaS-like model on the education side. Okay, excellent, man. So yeah. free intro to pilot to, you said, was it like the- is it Full academy, or? like $9.99 for the year, yeah. Okay, gotcha. And are all those all digital uh, yeah. that you leverage for that? Okay. Yeah, the academy is all on demand. And like the intro, so the whole model, like you think you can think about the intro as product-led growth, basically. So I, I launched that in November of 2021 and we started running it free every three weeks. And we did 18 sessions up until January of this year. And the average was 300 registrants. And then ChatGPT had happened, and now we just had 915 on the last one. So we're averaging 850 instead of 300. And then it's, again, pure pure model. It's like, okay, can we get 10% of them to buy this and then 10% of them to buy that? And then you build a lifetime customer lifetime value model based on those different assets. Awesome, man. Love it. Yeah. Straight, straight forward. And then you got the newsletter, the free newsletter, right, with actionable insights that, um, you know, with sponsorship, right? So you got right. the whole value ladder if you look at it right from fr- free to uh 
um, more of the, the the bigger picture. So that's awesome, man. So let's um, let's get into it because there's there's a lot. How did you? So how did you get to the point where you're like, I need to go deep on AI and and just figure this out? Because you started this some time ago. Yeah. Uh, what year did you start this in? So the institute started in 2016 officially, but I started researching AI in 2011. Okay. So how did it get on your radar, man? Because it's that's a long time ago. Yeah. Um, so my background, like you know, you're familiar with it, but for anybody who doesn't know my background, so we started HubSpot's first partner agency. So I, I started my former agency in 2005. We became HubSpot's first partner in 2007. And then that became the catalyst for the building of their partner program, which today is like 45% of their revenue comes from that partner program. So in 2011, I wrote the marketing agency Blueprint, which Brian Halligan, co-founder of HubSpot, did the forward for. That was the same year that IBM Watson won on Jeopardy. And so as I was finishing the manuscript, I started kind of looking around. I was like, what is that? And how does that tech work? And could I use it to intelligently automate marketing strategy? That was my original curiosity. And so I just started researching and reading about AI and trying to figure out what it was and how it worked and how I could apply it to marketing. And then fast forward to 2014, I wrote a little bit about AI in my second book. And then that was all anybody wanted me to do talks on. So I started traveling the world talking about AI and marketing and sales before anybody was really doing AI and marketing and sales. And then turned it into the Institute and just said, let's just tell the story of AI while we're trying to figure out. And so we just started sharing all the research and writings and everything we were learning. Okay. That's, that's fantastic, man. And it's funny because I remember that. I remember the, the, I don't remember the day, right? It was but January, remember, 2021 or <laughs> two, two, 2011. Yeah, well, I remember the thing on, on Watson on, on Jeopardy and didn't he beat or he, she, whatever the yeah, AI it, yeah. beat, it beat um, like one of the, the, the champion of champions or something like that. Didn't something like that happen? It was Ken Jennings and Brad Rutter. Yeah. The two top champions, Watson destroyed them. Yeah. Okay. So, so you got that. So that's, that's interesting. And that, that makes sense. Cause I, I mean, like I'm not, a, I don't watch Jeopardy. I don't do any of that. And I remember that moment mm-hmm. in time. So that's cool that you went and capitalized on it. Um, so let me ask you this. Cause it, I, I wasn't really thinking about this before when I was, I was doing the prep work, but like, why didn't you decide to start working with AI instead of creating an AI media company around it? I looked at it and said, uh, it's not what I'm uniquely capable of doing. So I was running a marketing agency at the time. We're largely storytellers by trade. I mean, we were a content agency. We created content to um, grow audiences and generate leads for clients. So it was the thing I knew. And I also didn't feel like I actually knew like what to build. Um, it was very nascent at the time. There, there really wasn't a way to go test an AI tool. Like today we can go to ChatGPT yeah. or Dolly or whatever. So it's very tangible now. It was not back in 2015. It was a lot more like looking around saying, well, where is all the AI? It seems like every business should be infusing it into their sales and marketing and service. And they weren't. And so we were still trying to figure out what is the story. And that was it, one, it was our natural ability. And two, we didn't know what else to do. And so we figured, well, maybe somewhere along the way, we'll figure out some other play here, which we're still figuring out. Okay. Gotcha, man. That makes total sense. So what's your number one resource then when it comes to looking at AI for information that that you look to or you try and soak up as you're kind of understanding and digesting everything that's happening in real time? 
in the early days, it was books, you know, going and reading and trying, trying to connect the dots. So people weren't writing marketing and AI books. They were just writing books about AI and you had to kind of figure out the applications. Uh, I would say today, uh, oddly enough, it's Twitter. Um, so a lot of the top AI researchers in the world, there's only a handful of them, and they're generally pretty active on Twitter. And so they share the latest research papers that they're working on or that they've published or the ones that catch their attention. They share um, their thoughts on other, you know, hot trending topics in AI. And so a lot of the time I'm just paying attention to what they're talking about as a clue to where we're going next. And and then I kind of synthesize that information and share it with our audience. Okay. That makes a lot of sense, man. And I've seen you do that with like Sam Altman over at OpenAI, like or the, um, I think it was the COO of OpenAI, like some of the things that he's kind of dropped. So who are your your top three favorites then that, that you follow on Twitter? Uh, so Sam Altman, certainly, and Greg Brockman are the two you know main leaders at OpenAI. They're obviously at the forefront of everything happening right now. Um, Demis Hassabis, who's the co-founder and CEO of Google DeepMind, is not very active on Twitter, but I follow him. Um, Jan LeCun, who's the head of the AI Meta Research Lab, uh, is pretty active on Twitter and follow him. Uh, and then there's just a handful like Jeff Dean at Google. Um, uh, yeah, I, there's I would say there's probably about 15 to 20 AI researchers who I have alerts set up for on Twitter. So if they tweet, it's like I want to know what they're talking about and when, you know, in real time. Um, and then there's people on the ethics side, like Margaret Mitchell and Timmy Cabrew, who used to lead the ethics team at Google until they got fired. So I, you know, <laughs> I, I kind of keep a diverse background. It's not just like, I just don't want the tech bro opinions of what's going on. I want to like look around and say, okay, the tech bros like this, but what, what is everybody else saying about it? And so you're trying to kind of get this very balanced perspective and then synthesize that information for people who don't really understand that stuff and try and make it make sense to them. Yeah. I, I think, I mean, that's good. I mean, that's smart because you're, you're, the ethics side is really, really critical, yeah. uh, especially with everything that's happened with Bing uh, AI and, and some of the responses with that, how it's going haywire and acting like um, I, <laughs> I've seen, the, you know, Sydney, right, is the yeah. code name, right? Sydney acting like a, uh, a whore, I don't, I don't remember what it was called, but a hormone infused teenager yeah. with some of the responses that, that, that was happening on that. So. Yeah, yeah. Um, but let me ask you this. So when it comes to SaaS, right? Cause mm-hmm. SaaS is often looked at as a forefront of cutting technology. However, what's your opinion on what SaaS companies are doing AI and kind of where they're at in the life cycle? Over, overall, they've been very slow to understand and adopt AI. There are certainly leaders in the space. There's companies that have been b- being built to be AI first for years. Because again, if people are new to AI, AI is not new. I mean, AI has been around since the 1950s. And most of the innovation we're seeing now happen from 2011 to now. But I mean, it's been a major focus for the big companies like Amazon and Microsoft and Google and NVIDIA and Salesforce and Adobe and like they, those those players were doing the stuff. When you start moving down the marketing technology landscape, there are a lot of uh, legacy companies who were not being very innovative with AI that lacked the vision for how to apply it. And in part, it's been driven by, there's been a lot of venture capital firms that didn't understand AI and the impact it was going to have. And, you know, I just kept looking at it saying, this seems so obvious. Like, why aren't they doing this? Why are all these, why are all these software products we use for CRM and, email and social and SEO, like all rules based, like everything is still done by humans and and there's no intelligence in these things. 
I think that's going to change really fast. I've, I've talked to SaaS leaders. I've talked to VC firms in, since ChatGPT came out. There is a, a, a significant sense of urgency to make up for lost time with a lot of these SaaS companies. And I think it's necessary because I think they're going to be obsoleted really fast if they don't. Well, I mean, that's good perspective. And and I could see where, I mean, like what happened with Blockbuster and how they got complacent, right? And then they got, they got bottomed out by Netflix. So, I mean, how do you think SaaS companies could catch up then if they're lagging behind the curve when it comes to AI and implementing that in their business? They need to take a very aggressive audit of their entire platform or product and say, are there ways to obsolete each of these features or the entire platform? So you need people who know what AI is capable of to look at the product. So if that's an internal team, great. If it's an external team, whatever, get get what you got to get. And you need to uh, very... Um, aggressively assess your own platform and say, what would it take for someone to build a smarter version of this? Like, could, could someone come along and 10x the productivity of what we're enabling today with human written rules? And there's a lot of marketing software that is, is very inefficient when you look at the big picture of what's now possible with AI. Okay. That makes a lot of sense. I guess like, let me, let me ask you this. So right now kind of where we're at and then we'll, we'll, I want to, I want your opinion on what do you think it's going to be in 12 months, but Mm -hmm. what do you think is the top, you know, three to five utilities for AI, let's say to create revenue right now, if you had to kind of list them off. Yeah. So there's three main areas that I always teach people to think about this and this can be applied to marketing, sales, service, ops, product, whatever, intelligent automation or repetitive tasks. So the first step is we do this thing and we go through 17 steps. Every time we do it, every time I have a sales call, I look in the CRM, I see what the latest activities are. I look at whether they're a customer or not. I look at the past activity there. And like I'm, I'm processing all this information just to make a phone call. And I make the phone call, I take my notes. Well, could AI just listen in and transcribe and find actions and, and things, you know, highlights within it and summarize that for you? Like, you're basically just going through your existing workflow and saying, where can AI help me to intelligently automate activities to make me more efficient and improve my performance? Um, the second is personalization, which is critical. So personalization of all aspects of the buying and learning journey. Uh, that's where AI fits in. It makes predictions about behaviors and outcomes um, as it learns from different data. And then enhancing uh, creativity and decision-making would be the other two key pieces. So in sales, you know, you're looking at um, churn, customer retention. You're looking at uh, the quality of leads and predicting the likelihood to buy. You're looking at predicting likelihood of upsell and what's going to get them to, to upsell. So there's all these areas where as, as professionals and leaders, we're trying to predict what the other person is going to do, our customer, our buyer. And we generally use instinct uh, experience and maybe sometimes some analytics. And AI should be infused into all aspects of that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, I've, I guess like, I mean, I see it, right. I, I've seen it just with, with all the testing that I've done on, on chat GPT and just other applications of AI with that and just how it can massively simplify the automation process that you're talking about. You could have it come up with 15 different inputs from a creativity perspective. I've seen that from a content creation perspective. Um, but let me ask you this, like for each one of those use cases, what are specific examples that you've seen that you've been blown away by that companies have leveraged already that are that are leveraging already right now, I guess you could say? Well, the one I saw that I think is going to be very impactful in sales and certainly within SaaS and sales is um, 
is the connection of a chat GPT like model to the CRM system. So Microsoft has something called Viva, which they just shared, like I think it was like three weeks ago or something they showed it. And what it's doing is rather than the salesperson writing an email or picking a template, you just put who you're writing to and then you start and it actually starts filling in like Google Smart Compose does with your emails, except it does it connected to the CRM base. And it actually will infuse information from the CRM, from the pipeline data, from their last activities. It starts basically building and can write the emails for you. So picture going into chat GPT and asking it to write a generic sales email to a prospect who's interested in a product. But now imagine that that same generic email is actually personalized based on all their CRM history. That's the kind of stuff that we're seeing happen now um, outside of the obvious stuff like predictive lead scoring that's actually good um, and the personalization of activities on the site. Like it could be as simple as I know you're a customer or not when you come to our site. Like so many brands are still showing the exact same content to people, whether they're a customer or not. And that's that's ludicrous. And so I think the personalization recommendation engines baked into the site that's recommending content, just like Netflix and Spotify do or Amazon does with products. And you really personalize that experience and that's going to give you a chance to dramatically increase revenue and value creation. Okay. So you've seen that on the automation side and then writing it. What about the creativity side? Like, what do you love on the creativity side? So creative is uh, caught everybody by surprise. I mean, I think that people who looked at the AI space for decades assumed it was coming for blue collar work and labor first, manufacturing jobs. And the opposite happened. It's coming for knowledge work and creative workers first. And that's because of the breakthroughs in 2022 with image generation and language generation. So OpenAI is not alone. That's the one that everybody knows. Um, but there's basically four areas to consider. There's language, there's design and imagery, uh, there's video, and then there's audio. And there's major breakthroughs happening in all those spaces right now. So from a creative perspective, it's going to dramatically enhance what people are capable of doing, whether they're doing design work, generation of images, creation of content, um, building videos, uh, editing videos. There's a company called Runway ML that's doing just some insane stuff in the video space. And that's going to come real fast in 2023. There's going to be a lot of announcements around major stuff. You can go look at the research papers from the last 24 months around this space and you'll get a sense of what's about to happen. What, which research paper are you talking about? There's lots of them. So like Meta did one last year about video. Um, there's a couple it just in the fall and winter of last year around language models um, and their capabilities. There was one just a couple of weeks ago about taking these base language models. Because if you don't know how a language model works, like if listeners aren't aware, all they're doing, like ChatGPT, it's making predictions about words in a sequence. It actually knows nothing. Like it's not intelligent. It's not sentient. It doesn't know anything. It's taking probabilities of words occurring in a sequence. And so those that's why ChatGPT just makes stuff up. So like dates, locations, people, anything, it just makes facts up. And so they're they're working on ways like I think it was just la- last week, Jan LeCun shared a paper they did where they're injecting tools to, to solve for that. So if it comes to a date, it actually injects a calendar tool and the language model knows to go check the calendar to inject that. They're injecting calculators into it. So if it needs to do math, it actually like runs through a calculator app and behind the scenes. Um, and then citation is the big thing everybody complains about because they don't like they're not, there's nothing to cite. They're not like pulling from a source, but they're trying to solve for citation by connecting it to search engines. So that's what Bing's doing. So the, the, the language model writes something and then it basically runs a search behind the scenes to the vet, whether that's correct and try and find sources that can confirm what it wrote basically. 
Okay. That makes sense. I mean, that's a good evolution. And then what do you think about 12 months from now? Like if we're looking at this, like where are things going to be with multimodal AI and, and things like that? Um, so the big thing I wrote about recently is called World of Bits. Um, all the major research labs are racing to create uh, the ability for these models to do actions. So if the example I gave in the post there, it was like, if, if I want to send an email in HubSpot right now, there's 21 steps I have to go through, 21 clicks minimum to send an email. In the not too distant future, I think you're going to be able to basically open the HubSpot app, uh, go into email, send me an email to this list, make it about this, and make sure to include images that are relevant to the... T- I'm just going to be able to like explain what I want, and the AI will be able to actually go and perform the actions on the site. Same with like booking travel or like getting a hotel or getting a reservation at a restaurant. So the language models are going to get insanely uh, good in the next 12 months. There's already, they already exist in the labs. They just haven't been released to the public yet. And then video, you'll see massive improvements. And then this idea of actions and decision-making is going to be real key. What do you mean by that? Like actions and decision-making, like give me some examples. So the ability for the agent to take the actions, to, to send the email for me without me having to actually do the 21 clicks and then decision-making. Um, so decisioning is, is the next frontier. Um, basically the ability for the machine to support every decision you make in an organization. So right now you could think about it in like a lead score scenario where I'm trying to decide which 10 prospects to call and the machine can give me a score, but in the future, it'll be able to be applied to anywhere where you're trying to make decisions where data, you know, can help you. So it's like, which market should we go into? Which product should we launch? Um, you know, where should I put my budget? Things like that. That's going to be the, the AI will be like kind of like behind the scenes, able to help guide decisions and make recommendations about what to do. And I mean, that's really interesting, like looking at strategic business decisions through filtering that. Like, are you seeing that all through open AI being like the backbone of it? Or are you seeing other players in that space that are going to kind of rise to the top in more of a niche format? The I, I actually don't know of any startups that have made a ton of progress on this. There's ones on the action side. There's a company called Adept and there's another one called Inflection AI. Those are the two major players right now that are kind of out to market on the action side. On the decision side, the two best papers are probably related to Google DeepMind and then uh, Meta that, that actually had something called Cicero, which is where it's going to be involved in negotiations, uh, human negotiations. So it's going to be a mix. I mean, the major research labs are all the big, big ones you'd think of Microsoft, Amazon, um, Meta, uh, Google, Apple's the dark horse to me. They keep real quiet about everything they're doing, but I wouldn't be surprised if Apple made some really interesting moves this year. Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, they, they're sitting on so much cash and information and data that you think, you know, they, they, I mean, they own, you know, the, they, they own like the watches, oh, they yeah. own the the hardware, right? Probably there's chips integrated into there that could be easy crossovers. But at the same time, I mean, like, and I don't know, maybe it's just my watch, but do you have an Apple watch at all? I do. Yeah. Did, did you notice with the latest update, like by default, it won't let you shut it off? I didn't notice. I don't think I've updated it yet. It won't let you power it off. That's interesting. Yeah, I've tried and and I'm not like dumb, right? Like I'm tech savvy, right? I have not figured out how to shut it off. The same capability where you just hold down the side button to shut it off will not allow to do that. And my, my, I should say my concept is kind of like they want to track everything and every move in every area. So like you just, even when it's sitting off or even when it's sitting stationary, like of what's happening in real time and just kind of like how, 
you know, and maybe this is deep state stuff, right? But like how you feel like your phone's listening to you because mm-hmm. information pops up in Facebook or whatever, which is true. Um, the same thing happens on your phone, right? Like where they, or your watch even, because this this has audio capabilities, right? So yeah. I don't know, man. I, I think something's up with that because it was just a really weird, like I've had an Apple watch for a while. That's never been the case. And all of a sudden it's like, I, I don't know how to turn it off. Like I can't physically turn it off. I put it on the charger, but I can't turn it off. That's interesting. Yeah, I, I don't know. I hadn't seen that. I did note the other day, their voice to text has gotten insanely good all of a sudden. So if you use on your phone, like if you do voice to text for emails or text message or whatever, and then also the voice dictation on your MacBooks or your Apple computers, uh, it's it's scary good at speed and accuracy. It's like it dominates versus Google's dictation at the moment. So that means they made some major breakthroughs on their language models at some point here, their natural language processing and generation which might be a prelude to Surrey actually being useful is my hope. Yeah. (laughs) Hello, this is Ryan here. Real quick, if you are enjoying this episode, please hit the subscribe button and leave a comment or review. If you want more help or just want to learn more about what the top SaaS CEOs and founders are doing, check out my website at www.ryanstaley.io. Join my newsletter. Check out other free content resources I have there. And let me know if you want to scale your business. Now back to the episode. Let me ask you this, and this is kind of off the beat question, not off the beat, but just a little, little different, switch it up a little bit. So if you were starting an AI company today, you know, like what's, what kind of software would you use for that? Or I should say programming language, like how would you kind of approach it? What would be your strategy in terms of, of uh, approaching that? Because there's a lot of startups that are listening. Yeah, I, I, so I wrote a thesis in May of 2022. Um, so before ChatGPT, but after Dolly. And I said, the future of all businesses, AI native, AI emergent or obsolete. I think you either, you know, I don't, if you're a software company, you could be a, a retailer, you could be e-commerce, you could be an agency, like whatever you are. I would look at the business and say, how do we become smarter over time? How do we intelligently automate things? How do we drive efficiency in there? How do we do personalization? How do we enhance decision-making creativity? Because if you don't do it, someone else is going to do it for you. Like they're just, they're going to make you obsolete. So the way I look at it is any industry, you say, okay, what's a smarter version of this company? And either you start from scratch and infuse AI into all aspects of it, or over you know one to three year period, you evolve the business model to infuse AI, marketing, sales, service, ops, product, HR. So what we're doing at the Institute, like we're not an AI first company, but we use probably 15 to 20 different AI tools every day to run our business. We have five people. We produce the amount of content that a team of 10 probably does because we're we're using AI to be more efficient at what we do. So I think that's the future is any, any business has to figure this stuff out because the efficiency gains, the performance gains when you do are so disproportionate to what the other companies are going to do who don't figure it out. It's going to be really hard for those other companies to remain competitive in the future. And in, I, SaaS, in SaaS, you can get disrupted over the weekend. Like it, it can happen really fast in SaaS. Well, look at what happened with Google, yeah. right? I mean, like their whole world's turned upside down and they were, they're, they're not like- They were a monopoly. Startup. Government's yeah, trying to break them up. Like, <laughs> I mean, so well, let me ask you this. What, what are your five like favorite tools that you use in your business? And what do you use them for? Five. Okay. So Descript is one. We love Descript, uh, such as D-E-S-C-R-I-P-T.com. We use that for podcasting and webinar production. 
so it does transcription summarization well it doesn't do the summarization but cleans up audio files video files all that stuff so that's awesome and it's less than 30 bucks a month um runway i love uh i'm not using it in my daily workflow but they're just like cutting edge and it's like 28 bucks a month for the subscription what is it what does runway do exactly so they have, a, they have a suite of ai magic tools for audio um and video and image stuff so you can do video image production like with dolly except like whole nother level stuff so we use that a lot um I have like six AI writing tools that I experiment with, depending on the use case. So we use, I have subscriptions to Jasper and writer. Um, I use HyperWrite. I've tested, I use OpenAI's playground, which is kind of the base model for chat GPT. Uh, Cohere is a company I love. They're a, a fast growing startup. They're rumored to be raising at a $6 billion valuation uh, in the near future. Cohere, you said? Cohere, C-O-H-E-R-E. They're they're basically a competitor to OpenAI, sort of. They be, they beat their own language model. Um, but basically, like, I don't want to get too detailed, but there was a paper in 2017 called Attention is All You Need, which is actually the creation of the transformer architecture, which is the fundamental basis that enabled generative AI to exist. So it, it's what... It's what GPT is built on, chat GPT, GPT-3, all this stuff. So one of the lead author, Aidan Gomez, started a company called Cohere, which is a language model company. So all the authors, like nine authors of this paper, seven of them have left to build companies. Um, mm. So they did it at Google. It was a Google brain team that built the transformer, which accelerated this whole, whole like transformation we're seeing. Um so, yeah, I mean, those are those are just some of them. Uh, I'm trying to think like some other obvious. I mean, we use ChatGPT, we use Dolly image generation. Makes sense, man. Those are all good examples. And so in light of that, I mean, do you think there's going to be a rise of niche AI applications versus like just ChatGPT, OpenAI, like generalist? Uh, do you think that's going to kind of be the rise of the next AI companies that 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 do really well? Uh, I I think there will be probably north of 10,000 generative AI companies created this year. Like it's going to be an explosion that'll be impossible to keep track of. Um, Just yesterday, a company called Tome raised 43 million to do AI for presentations, like for keynotes, basically. Um, It's, it's all niche. So AI has to be built to do very specific tasks. And so basically any task you can imagine, once you know what it's capable of, if you have the ability to build, and then the other major breakthrough that's happening is you don't even need to be able to code anymore. Like English is the language of coding in the future. Like all I'm gonna have to be able to do is text prompt what I want to build. And so you have these companies like Replit that are like democratizing coding basically. Um, So yeah, it's going to be, it's going to be crazy. There's going to be an explosion of tools and technologies and companies. Well, yeah, I mean, I mean per my personal experience with like chat GPT when I was, I mean, I played with it a lot. Yeah. And like right now with the, the way, the way that the generation that it's at is all depends on like, you know, input is, is from the, or I should say outputs from the input. Right. So yeah. like you got to know, the right context, have domain expertise and ask the question in the right way. And if you do that, you get amazing results, mm-hmm. right? So it's almost like domain expertise lever, I should say, um, layered on top of like amazing prompts that are very specific and hyper detailed. Would you agree that that's like the best way to operate with it now? Yeah. Prompt prompting is very important. And that's why I always say, you know, a lot of graphic designers weren't happy about Dolly and Midjourney that like AI could do these things. And there's writers who aren't happy that AI can write. What I always tell people is I, I get that. Like I totally understand and sympathize with that. 
But as a writer or a designer, someone with domain expertise, you're better at prompting the machine to get an output than someone who isn't. So I am not a video production person. I am not a designer. I, I don't know the visual explanations to give to the machine to get these amazing outputs that you see on Twitter from all these people. And I think writing is the same way. Video is going to be the same way. So I do think that the domain experts who accept that we're at this point where it's human plus machine and they find ways to enhance what they're doing with it, they're going to be better at using these tools than non-professionals. Yeah, so true, man. So true. Well, uh, unfortunately, we are up on time. Uh, so I'd love to ask you, like, where can people find you? Where can they find more about the AI Marketing Institute? And then we'll wrap things up. Yeah, so marketingainstitute.com is the home base for everything, the book, the courses, the events. Uh, LinkedIn is personally probably the place I'm most active. Uh, I love when people connect and say, you know, they heard me on a show. It gives me context. And then we actually have a, a podcast as well. If you're a big podcast listener called Marketing AI Show, and we do a weekly that kind of summarizes the three big things happen in AI each week. So those are the three main spots, I'd say. Love that, man. Well, Paul, it was a real pleasure to have you on the show, man. I know we got super deep and technical on this, uh, but it was awesome, man. I loved it, man. I love the the level of commitment that you've had to this over the last, what, 12 years? Right? 12, it's, been, it's been a while. 12 years. So <laughs> it's we, been a lonely we road. We nerded out on this for 30 minutes. Paul's been nerded out on it for 12 years. Like, oh my God, can you believe this? And now finally people are listening. So, Thanks for being on the show, Paul. It was a pleasure having you, man. Thank you, Ryan. All right. And we will see you all on the next episode. Thank you for checking out The Scale Up Show. My mission in life is to help founders and revenue leaders avoid all the pain and suffering in revenue growth so they can flip it and create a life of their own design. So if you enjoyed this show, please like, review, share it on social, and more importantly, just share it with a friend. Share it with someone that you think could learn and benefit from what you heard on today. But the more we get the message out, the more people we could help, the bigger the impact we make, and the bigger the community gets, which helps everybody. So once again, thank you for being a loyal listener. I appreciate you and look forward to seeing you on the next episode.